The real meaning behind your favorite songs. Not just big hits, but iconic culture-changing pieces of art. This is Anatomy of a Song on Feedback. Dirty and sweet. Yes. All right, it's volume. Nick and Lori and Mark Myers, the uh, author of Anatomy of a Song, the oral history of 45 iconic hits that changed rock, R&B, and pop, and, of course, our uh, main man from the Wall Street Journal. Thank you, guys. We got somebody inside the establishment. Uh, another Anatomy of a Song. Lori has been licking her chops about this one for weeks now. Wow. Yeah. The great Mark Boland. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was saying that um, I had a T-Rex pin from when I went to visit uh, the a museum in, in um, Philadelphia, and I always thought I was going to have a band called T-Rex until someone told me there is a band called T-Rex. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start a band called Nirvana. Oh, wait. Yeah, you know, that's <laughs> happened, actually, you know, as we talked about. Naz, you know, Naz was up for uh, up for grabs there. It was a bunch of, a couple of, that's a, that's a good one to do, like bands. Bands that wanted the name of other bands but couldn't have them because they were taken. You know? Yeah, didn't yes. that happen to uh, Culture Club too? Like they wanted to call themselves Bauhaus, so or yeah, they did initially. There's a, there's a bunch of them. There's yeah. a bunch of them. Uh, Get it on. Get it on by T Rex, Mark Bolin. Um, you know, in the U.S., what's interesting uh, that Get It On is the title of the song in the U.K. when it comes out in 1971, and when it arrives here about three months later in early '72, it's Bang a Gong parenthesis get it on <laughs> yeah <laughs> alex is making faces because he's he's got a thing about parentheses title song just yeah. name it what you're gonna name it Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but in this case you actually see why they did that because bang a gong is what we call it but they put the parentheses get it on so if you're in the uk and you happen to be visiting you know what song it is there you go Th- and, and you works, can spend alex. the money and you can spend the money um the problem was an american band called <laughs> chase C-H-A-S-E, already had get it on, get it on out. They already had this catchphrase. Um, and uh, as Tony Visconti told me when I interviewed him, they were really disappointed <clears throat> because they thought they were ahead of the curve by having this get it on title, but actually an American band had it. So they had, uh, Reprise had to change the title. The songs released in the UK in late 71. Um, the TK, the uh, T-Rex, uh, TK, TK Records, the uh, T-Rex song. <laughs> always, always talking disco. Yeah, you. <laughs> it's always sneaking in. Um, it goes to number one in the UK um, and number 10 on Billboard's uh, pop chart in early 72. And that's a big deal because T-Rex hadn't been uh, really on the American radar. They popped into the charts, but like double digits way high up. And when this song comes out, it hits number 10 and it's a really driving rocker at that period of time um and it's considered the first major glam rock hit and it appears before bowie's ziggy stardust album which is fascinating bowie's ziggy stardust doesn't appear until months later um in late 71 t-rex performs get it on on top of the pops and lead guitarist uh, singer mark bolan b-o-l-a-n was in gray satin and you can see this on youtube and it's such a cool video he's in gray satin pink what looks like pink corduroys or pink jeans and he's got these silver glitter tears under each eye i mean this is like 1971 um 
So he's ahead, you know, Bowen's ahead of his time. Um, he winds up dying in an auto accident in 1977. Um, he never learned to drive, uh, and his girlfriends always drove the car. And in this case, they spent a little too much time in Barclay Square drinking at a club there. And uh, on their way home, his girlfriend, uh, the car jumps the road outside of London. Do you know if the girlfriend dies too? Um, I believe she, yeah, they both died. It was like a two-seater, right? Yeah, it was like an MG or something, some little, no, it was a Mini. It was a Mini, yeah. Um, uh, Most people don't, this is interesting, most people have, are unfamiliar with T-Rex. They they just don't know, they've heard of it a little bit, but they don't know the band or they don't know much about them. Um, What they know, I think what most people know, is the lyric line from David Bowie's All the Young Dudes, right? The television man is crazy, saying we're juvenile delinquent wrecks. Man, I need a TV when I've got T-Rex. And that's, I think the first time we hear that is David Live in 74, when Bowie covers his own song that Mata Hoople recorded, All the Young Dudes. Get It On appears on one of Rock's little-known uh, great albums. One of the great little-known albums, I think, is Electric Warrior. Don't you guys think? I mean, it's a really terrific oh. rock and roll record, um, un- unknown for the most part in the States. Um, again, Electric Warrior by T-Rex. Um, for this anatomy of a song, I interviewed the great Tony Visconti, um, the song's producer and Bowie's longtime producer. And he's such a great guy, as you guys know. I love him so he much. is the best, isn't he? He's just a wonderful, wonderful person. Um, and I also interviewed another great guy, and that's drummer Bill Legend, the last surviving member of T Rex back in the early 70s. Yeah, that's, that's like, that was the first thing we were saying. It was like, who's he going to talk to? And we were like, stoked that you got Tony. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it it never would have worked without Tony, right? He's the producer of this song. He's in the booth. He's the fifth member of this band. And the only person who's left is Bill Legend on drums. So from, you know, with the two of them, I could get the story. You know, I could get, uh, and I got a lot of good, there's a, a lot of great texture I in learned there. a lot. And I was yeah. saying this to the guys before, you know, I like to think of myself as a historian of this time. And, um I learned a lot from your niece. Oh, thank you. A lot. Thanks a lot. Yeah. It was fun to do. And Tony was very um, patient in terms of giving me time, giving me the time that was needed to get it all out of him and to get the nuances and get a lot of details. You know, I would say, I think there's about, I had 3,600 words when I wrote it and I had to bring it down to about 1,400. So there's another 1,500 words on this song that will come down the road. That'll yeah. be on the box set. That's right, on the box of of, of, of uh, Cheerios or on the box of Wheaties <laughs> when Tony's on the cover, you know, flexing. Um, so what is, let's let's do the background first because you can't really get into the song without talking about glam rock first, right? Um, glam rock is a British invasion, excuse me, a, a British invention and it's really marked by driving rock, driving hard rock and guys wearing women's makeup, clothes, jewelry, platform shoes and glitter. Um, and it's really, it, there's, a, there's a German cabaret, a Weimar cabaret quality to this dressing up as women thing. Um, and it's, it's, it's you know, th- this cabaret aspect is what is the component that makes glam different. Um, while there's an androgyny uh, to this, Mark Bolin, and, uh, Mark Bolin and David Bowie realized early that dressing up uh, with pearls, with, you know, in women's clothes, um, to some extent, or adapting them. They're not fully dressed in drag, but they're adapting a lot of women's clothes. Um, it, it drove women crazy in the audiences, Tony was telling me. I mean, the reason for that, 
you know, um, was really to get the women in the audiences nuts. There was a response. You know, when women, you know, I think when they saw these guys not caring, not being macho, and saw them as more um, uh, sensitive and and not caring, you know, that these clothes look great. If it's pink, that's cool. There was a response by the women fans. They they went nuts in the audience. Um, glam runs from about 1971 to 75. Um, UK artists include Bolan and Bowie, of course, Elton John, Roxy Music, Sweet, Slade. Um, and Mata Hoople. And in the U.S., you know, you can add um, the New York Dolls, of course, and Lou Reed. And um, I think Todd Rundgren, you know, fits in there for sure. Right, Laurie? Um, but let's listen to some early Brit glam because the, the listener needs to sort of catch the wave in the ear of this to be able to hear why this T-Rex song is so important. Um, let's do, uh, let's do Bo- Bowie's uh, Moon Age Daydream. I'm an alligator. That's so good. Yeah. Uh, let's do Martha Hoople's All the Young Dudes. It's so Brit. So Brit. It's almost like a coronation feel to it. Beautifully put. Um, let's, uh, let's jump to Sweet's Blockbuster. This is 1973. This is all glam. Almost Gene Genie, right? And they were on the charts at the same time, this and Gene Genie. Incredible. And it's a coincidence. It's amazing. So this is, you know, this is going on when punk is just coming to be, but glam is sort of the opposite in some respects. Um, more dress up and um, more stagecraft. Um, we couldn't, we couldn't miss this little, this little glam audio segment without Honky Cat. It's, you know, I saw about 20 minutes of Rocket Man, the movie that's coming, the biopic of Elton John. It's out of the park. It's insane how good it is. I think it's going to be massive. What do you think I of Taron singing? Un- incredible, incredible. Uh, but you know what the beauty is? It's not it's not Ray and it's not Cash. There's a lot of fantasy in there, a lot of color. It, it's um, it's mind bending, which is what they should have done. You know, it's smart. Uh, one more. Let's do uh, Slade's Mama. <laughs> Mama, we're all crazy now. Uh, this is uh, 1971. Great rock and roll. I mean, just great. And there are people right now going, "What do you mean? This is not a Quiet Riot song?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what's interesting is a lot of these guys are not channeling the Beatles. The Beatles just broke up, and the Beatles, they're st- every one of these groups is channeling 1950s rock and roll. I mean, that's what you're hearing, this updated hard rock adaptation of 50s rock and roll. We'll hear about that later. So at first, T-Rex was known as Tyrannosaurus Rex um, from 1967 to 1970. Uh, Bolin loved Godzilla movies. 
who loved Godzilla movies, loved you know these these King Kong movies, um, and Tyrannosaurus Rex. He used the name for that. He had this childhood passion for for you know large large dominant dinosaurs, but uh, also uh, he wanted to make sure people remembered the name. Now, not every most DJs couldn't pronounce this. I mean, they was like, they were stumbling Tyrannosaurus. They they couldn't quite get it. Um, but uh, the 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 name. The name was big enough and long enough that when they were appearing, people people would come and show up. Um, but the group, this is interesting, the group was just two guys at this point. It was a duo. Um, and it was Mark Bolin on guitar and vocal and percussionist Steve Peregrine Took. And that's in the beginning. This is like 1968, 67, 68. And the band is sort of a... Um, psychedelic folk kind of thing, and, you know. It's it's uh, it's Donovan esque, but it's a little more spacey. Um, after producer Tony Visconti moves to London in '67, he goes looking for new talent in '68, and he finds Tyrannosaurus Rex at the UFO Club in in London, and he begins producing them. Um, and as I said, they're a progressive prog duo, really. It's really more prog, I think, almost than folk when you listen to early uh, early Tyrannosaurus Rex. Um, let's listen to a couple of tracks so you get a sense of it. Um, here's Child Star in 1968. Right? <laughs> So let's jump to uh, Mustang Ford in 68 also. Again, it's a duo. It's percussion, like a kunga back there, or an Indian drum. And let's do uh, O'Harley in 68. Now you can't underestimate the influence of Indian culture. On London music, it, very much the way reggae was so strong as a dominant force in the 70s um, on English music, the um, the Indian culture in India and and just the whole, um, I mean, the Beatles going to India, it's a big influence on English music, English rock. And let's do uh, Do You Remember in 69. Again, this is when they're known as Tyrannosaurus Rex and they're just a duo. See, that's a little closer to what, you know, yeah, before, before well, that you're like, how'd they duo. get there? Right. But now they're the duo that still becomes T-Rex. Yeah, they're still duo. So 1970, Tony's fed up writing out the name Tyrannosaurus Rex 14, 15, 20 times a day. You know, he's just going nuts. And his calendar, the little boxes, you know, they're not big enough to write all this stuff down in terms of what he's got to do. So he just starts, na- he just starts putting it in his calendar as T-Rex. Um, and t- so Tony's responsible for renaming that band T Rex. I know. I was blown away by that myself. Um, so he starts abbreviating it. But when Mark Bolin comes in to talk to him and sees, looks over his shoulder and sees on his calendar that it's T Rex, he's pissed off. I mean, you know, he says that's a betrayal. I mean, we're Tyrannosaurus Rex. What it's are you doing? It's only on his calendar. I, I, it's just how pretentious and amazing uh, you know, <laughs> that it, this makes him mad. Absolutely. Um, and Tony just says, look, man, I'm writing this thing 14, 15 <laughs> times a day. I, you know, I'm getting writer's cramp writing out your band's name. And it doesn't fit on cassettes. Yeah. yeah T-Rex, <laughs> done, and good luck And good luck spelling it correctly. Too. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so 
the duo at this point, uh, Mark Bolin, and, and everybody says, yeah, T-Rex, T-Rex sounds a lot better too, Mark. You know, don't get so ticked off. So the duo Mark Bolin and Mickey Finn at this point on percussion, they shortened the group's name to T-Rex. They're fine with it. Um, in 1970, I mean, this woman doesn't get enough credit. In 1970, a female friend of Boland's, Chalita Secunda, begins taking him to London's King's Road to a boutique called Granny Takes a Trip. And it's, I'm not clear whether she's going shopping and he's tagging along and he's going through the racks. Whatever happens at Granny Takes a Trip on King's Road, he begins buying clothes <clears throat> and put and wearing them on stage. And... Um, Especially in perform, you know, in performance, he's wearing women's shoes and mascara, and again, it's a way to connect. Bowie was starting to do this. It wasn't as advanced at this point in time. Tony and I were talking. Um, though, you know, Tony was playing bass in Bowie's band at this time. Um, there was one night, I think, in February of '70, where they dressed up in novelty superhero outfits, um, and and they were playing at a club. And actually, Bolin was there. Uh, they, they, there was a photograph of Bolin. He was by the stage. Um, but they're all sort of a lot of these artists are starting to catch on to what glam's all about. That you can't, as a guy, you can't be afraid of women's clothes. And it's part of the costumery. It's part of the cabaret quality. It's part of the attitude. Um, and it's, you know, it's androgyny. I mean, it's a whole bunch of mystique stuff. Um, each, each great music form in rock, that's the beauty of it, has a mystique. The Beatles had a mystique. The rockers, you know, Chuck, uh, Chuck Berry and Bill Haley, there was a mystique to what they were doing. That's what makes rock so interesting, really. Uh, uh, the music, of course. Bolin and Bowie were close. This is what's interesting, too, because they have a connection in Tony. Tony's producing both Bowie and T-Rex at this time, Mark Bolin. And Bolin, I said, did you guys, did they ever get together? He says all the time. They would always, he was the only one who didn't live at home, Tony. He had his own flat. Bowie was living at home. Bolin was living at home. And they would come over and jam to 50s rock and roll because um, Tony had extra guitars and he played his bass and Bowie and Mark Bolin. I mean, I wish I had those tapes. Right? Yeah. Um, wow. And so, like I said, at the time, Tony's producing David Bowie and T-Rex <clears throat> and playing bass in Bowie's band. By 1970, Bolin starts to get, he, he, he gets pretty quickly that um, probably through, see, through, through knowing Bowie and listening to Bowie and seeing Bowie starting to perform, he's, he's quickly... He quickly realizes that this coy acid prog duo thing is is has run its course. It's done. It, it's really tired, and he knows that the new scene that's emerging, again, because these guys are all hanging out at these cutting edge clubs. He's realizing that the cutting edge thing now is hard rock. That's driving rock, and the thing to temper it is is sort of this androgyny. Um, so he forms a band, four, four guys in the band, forms a hard rock band with Steve Curry on bass, Bill Legend on drums, and Mickey Finn moves to percussion. And in 1970, Tony produces two big hit singles for T-Rex, Hot Love and Ride a White Swan. And these, t in, in the UK, Swan goes to number two and Hot Love goes to number one. Let's hear, so you can hear the difference in what we just heard. Here's T-Rex in 1970 as a four-member band. This is Ride a White Swan. What's it called, Mark? Ride a White Swan. Thanks, Mark. White Swan for the next. White Swan, take one. Rolling. Wow. Big difference, right? The birth of a band. It's so crisp, too. Yeah. Sort of a Donovan y kind of vocal. I love this song. Yeah, yeah. Let's hear Hot Love. This went to number one in 71, early. I love this Wild West on the range thing, right? Oh, 
Roy Rogers, Dale Evans. There's a lot of music hall in here too, English music hall, you know, where um, the Beatles were very big on this, sort of this mocking sound in the vocal and this almost humor built into the vocal delivery. It's not this serious, sex-driven uh, sound yet. It's more of a, um, you know, Honey Pie by the Beatles comes to mind and so many other songs on the White Album where there's a, um, you know, an old-fashioned quality about it. Paul, Paul's, uh, Sir Paul's big on that. Um, and I think, you know, that gives you a sense of where glam comes from. Uh, gives you a sense of how uh, T-Rex is adapting. And I think, um, um, you know, you get a good, clear sense of, of the road that's leading now to get it on. All right, let's take a quick break. Can I just throw in there that 82 Fire Chicken wants us to know that Mark Boland's girlfriend did survive the car crash. Oh, she did, okay. She went on to raise their son alone with no money from his estate. Fun fact, David Bowie paid for Mark's son's education, made sure he was taken care of, and chill, uh, devoted Chillick throws in there that, um, that the godfather of this kid is none other than David Bowie. Thanks, and so uh, my apologies. Yes, that's great. Fact check that, Alex. So Thanks, far comes ladies. up good. She's <laughs> definitely right. alive. Taking a quick break. We'll be right back with more from Mark on feedback. Digging into the history of the iconic hits that changed rock, R&B, and pop. This is Anatomy of a Song on Feedback. All right, so Tyrannosaurus Rex has become T-Rex. They've gone from a duo to a foursome. And we pass the mic to Mark Myers on Feedback. Okay, so the song, uh, Get It On, we, we just, we've got the history of glam and the emergence of glam. We've got uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex becoming T-Rex and becoming a glam band. Uh, there's a big glam movement going on at the nightclubs, at the clubs, uh, the music clubs in uh, London in 1971. Um, big turning point in, in British music. Um, and the two hits, Hot Love and Ride a White Swan, um, they're, they're big in England. I mean, they're major, major songs. Um, and these songs, because they're hits, they land T-Rex a short U.S. tour. Uh, you know, you couldn't tour. If you're in a British band, there's, you had no business touring in the States if you didn't have a hit in the States. You know, if you had a hit, then you could, you could get somebody in the States to back you and, and you know, get the road managers on it and they, they could make some money. But if you, had, if you had tons of hits in the U.K., but not much in the States, it's for, you know, that's why Petula Clark is here and Scylla Black isn't. You know, it's Scylla Black was massive. I mean, she's basically a goddess in London. We just said that Dusty Springfield's 80th anniversary and her birthday in heaven was the other day. And Scylla Black was her big uh, nemesis. Yep. 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 Dionne Warwick and Scylla Black also at odds. We can talk about that sometime. It's fun. Um, so this this tour motivates T-Rex's record label to make a phone call. And the record label, Fly, calls Tony. And they say, look, you know, when you go over to the States, and by the way, Tony tagged along because he wanted to see his parents. He's from Brooklyn originally. You know, everybody who, who if you don't know Tony, um, you expect 
a British accent because he's so revered in London. You know, when he walks around in London, um, people are stopping him on the street all the time. When he walks around in New York, he's unknown. I mean, nobody he looks like everybody else with great, great pair of glasses, right? And great sounds pa- like a two accent, New yeah, York accent. Yeah, and he's got a Brooklyn accent. So when you, you talk to him, he's, he's, you know, he's got this Brooklyn. There's a little British still left in there, but um, he, you know, he 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 gets this call and Fly says, "Look, when you go over to do this tour, it was a short tour, a couple of months. I don't think it was longer than that." But Fly says, "Look, when you get over there." record an album we need an album i mean these two hits uh, hot love and ride a white swan we, we need more we need an album we need something behind it because those two were released only as singles they weren't released on an album um so tony gets the wheels going um and when they get to new york he, he gets a studio and um they record jeepster and they record a bunch of other songs for electric warrior um in new york Boland's walking through the hallway of the hotel at night. And interestingly, um, Bill Legend had just bought a snare, a wooden snare drum from Manny's, <clears throat> Manny's Music World on 46th Street. No longer there. I don't believe it's still there, or it might be. Uh, I think it just closed not re- that long ago. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, the, the whole, that whole thing was Music Row. But at any rate, um, he buys the snare drum, brings it back to the hotel. He says, he says it's better for concerts. It's stronger. It's firmer. He can get a better whack out of it. And Bolin's walking the hallway with paper in his hand and he goes, um, he says to Bill, he goes, do you have your drum? Do you have a drum? And Bill says, yeah, you know, I just bought this, this Gretsch snare. He goes, come on, come on, come over to my room. Uh, he comes into his room and Bolin says, listen, I've got this song. Uh, it's called Get It On. Uh, let me play it for you. So he's sitting on his bed, head, head against the headboard, and he's playing his acoustic guitar. And he plays it for him. And Boland, you know, legend works out some drum figures. You know, they, he's figuring out the right kind of drum sound for it, you know, because Boland says he wants to record it. Um, and they're done. You know, half hour later, they're finished. Um, and the tour ends, and they all go to L.A. for R&R. You know, they, they really want to see L.A. before they have to fly all the way home. They, they had no concerts in L.A. They were just going out there to just see what it was all about. And, of course, they stay at the Hyatt House on Sunset Strip. Where else? Um, and um, Boland tells Tony at the hotel about Get It On. And he said, you know, if you got a second, come on in. And in the room, Tony, you know, says, you know, what's up? And Mark says, he points to his notebook and he says, I want to record this song. And it's Get It On. Um, so Tony says, play it. You know, let, let me hear it. And Mark plays it for him. And Tony, they, they worked on it for an hour, which Tony said on the situ- in a situation like this is an eternity. I mean, it's usually just once through, great, let's, let's talk about it. But they worked on this thing for an hour in the hotel room. And Tony sang background vocals to sort of get a feel for what the arrangement would be and took a copious notes, as he said, on the song, on what would, you know, where the instrumental break should come and what should happen here and what should happen there. Basically like a director writing set notes on where people should stand and what the scene should be. In the hotel. Yeah. At the at the at the, uh, at the riot strikes. high, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the genius of Tony. I mean, he 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 becomes the artist and can feel exactly what they're doing, why they're doing it, and what would give that song more oomph, more velocity, more push. Um, so Tony takes those notes and he realizes at the end of this thing, man. I need backup singers. I need background singers, and I need a studio like yesterday. You know, got to get this thing. Got to get this song recorded. Got to get the band into the studio. We got to get this thing done here now. Done. Um, 
Enter Mark Volman and Howard Kalin. And if that, those two names don't ring a bell, that's Flo and Eddie, co-founders of the Turtles, of all people. Amazing. <laughs> it's like, Amazing. It's just everybody. This is like a Dickens story, this thing. It's like <laughs> characters come out of the woodwork from other songs. Um, so these two guys, they know T-Rex because they had all worked, I think when, when I think they opened for Zappa, they all opened for Zappa together. So they, they met him and they also sing on another song, an earlier song, I can't remember the name, but they, they, the Turtles played a role as background singers. Um, and Mark and Howard of the Turtles get T-Rex into Wally Hyder Studios in LA. Um, and there, Tony records a basic rhythm track of Get It On with just drums, bass, and Mark Boland's rhythm guitar. And the guitar includes that great opening riff that Mark plays on his white Stratocaster. And once the rhythm track, do we have that, do we have um, Get It On, just so we can just hear the sound of that riff before, before I keep going on this? It's a great sound. Syncopation, yeah. It's just, so the bass is under it, and Boland's on top with the Stratocaster. As Rick Wakeman, of course, doing the glissando on the piano. Man, that's a great arrangement. So, um, once this rhythm track is set, there's no vocals, you know, you don't have anything except the, the instruments I described. Um, once it's set, uh, Tony has Bolin record the, his guitar solos, because you've also got Bolin playing guitar solos on here. You've got him playing this riff throughout, but he's also on top on a Les Paul. So he has him put that Les Paul stuff in there too. Um, and this was a mind blower to me. Tony says, that Steve Curry used, this is the session where he uses this, this, this descending lick that bassist Herbie Flowers borrowed on Bowie's Rebel Rebel in 74. Yeah, this I did not know. I, this is like, but let's, let's, let's see if we can suss it out. Um, let's, hear, let's hear Curry's descending bass lick, and this is 34 seconds in on this track. But this this is this is Steve Curry and this is this descending bass lick that Tony is referring to on Get It On. It's isolated of course. Right there. Right there. That's the descending lick. So um I can't remember whether I pulled um, uh, Rebel Rebel. I, I, probably, I may not have, but um, if you don't have it there, don't, wor don't worry about it. Um, anyway, Bolin records a live take of his vocal. He, you know, live take means while the rhythm section's playing, um, he's recording his vocal straight to mic. I mean, it's, it's right in there. It's not overdubbing like not anything. In a, not in a, its own little his own little vocal booth or anything. He's just sitting there singing. Right, it. and he's not, live to mic meaning he's not overdubbing it. He's he's playing his guitar and he's singing almost like he's in in concert. Um, and, but the, the problem is, as Tony said, told me, the band was so loud, it couldn't, the vocal couldn't be used because it was bleeding. It was bleeding, the, the sound of the instruments were bleeding into the vocal and it was compromising the sound of the vocal. The vocal was buried behind the music. Um, so once the backing track was good to go, Mark Boland overdubbed the vocal. So the vocal you hear is actually overdubbed. Um, Tony, this is cool too. Tony added slapback echo to Mark's vocal and to the guitars. And slapback vocal, for those who don't know, um, without getting into the technicality of it, which I think will put everybody to sleep, um, it's, it's essentially what Elvis used 
at Sun Studios. Like when you hear Elvis singing, um, you can hear that little bit of echo. It's basically whatever you sing goes goes in, comes right back into your it right back. It comes right back, and you get almost this doubling up of your own voice. It's like a little bit out of sync, almost. Yeah. and there's a, it's echo. It's it's this reverb, but it's a slapback. It's very very fast. And you can modify it. You can have light slapback, or you can have a heavy slapback. Um, long, long, uh, long tall woman in a, in a cool black dress, or whatever, whatever the Hollies did what, that I was in here doing with you guys. Um, that has heavy slapback echo. You can hear on the vo- on the vocal. Um, and Volman and Howard, the reason that, that Flo and Eddie are there from the Turtles, um, the reason they're there is because, not only because he got them into the studio, but um, Tony wanted them on background vocals. And I said, well, why, why them? Why not anybody else? He said they had this amazing ability to sing female falsetto. And it's really true. When you listen to um, Get It On, you, it's, almost like there's, it's almost like there's three women singing background, and it's just these two guys. Um, At the fade, you can hear Bolin mimic Chuck Berry um, with a line from Little Queenie, um, which was this really wonderful, you know, Paul is dead kind of like buried thing in there. It comes at the tail end, and it wasn't, it was, I asked Tony whether it was impromptu, it had marked talked about it and he says it was totally out of the blue um, but as soon as he said it everybody was so versed in 50s rock that they realized he was tipping his hat to Chuck Berry and the chord changes this is the other thing Tony told me all these chord changes are Chuck Berry's uh, to, to get it on it's, it's basically Chuck Berry's chord changes on you know built into what he was doing um, but let's listen to this this little this line this is meanwhile I was thinking um, at the end of little Queenie let's listen to Chuck Berry's which is 123 in on uh, Little Queenie. I forgot about that. It's yeah, yeah, it's it, it's like it's like it just drifts in there. Mark it, always finds the breadcrumbs, man. I swear. It's it's, it's, it's all this little stuff. Let's listen to uh, Chuck Berry's. Uh, I was, meanwhile, I was still thinking. All right. So you hold that in your head. Um, let's let's uh, let's do Mark Boland's at the tail end. It's it's toward the end of that. Did I give you a time on that? I don't think I did. Is that the four ten one? Yeah, that, let's try it. Yeah, yeah, try that. Try that four ten in on. Uh, get it on. Yeah, that's the bass. I think that's just the bass solo of it. Anyway, um, the lyric meaning is fascinating. I mean, to me, that was the real payoff on this thing. You know, which was the you know what the what the lyrics meant because they're so odd. They're right? such yeah, it's so poetic and so odd. But I mean, when you they're so colorful. Yeah. And also they contrast because being dirty and sweet, you know. Hubcap Halo. Yeah, Hubcap that one. Yeah. You yeah. know. Yeah, it's they're very they're they're really inventive uh, and they're sort of Bowie esque in some ways. You know, they're they just. There's no real meaning except they sound interesting, and they're set to a great melody, and they've got a great arrangement. <clears throat> but, what is a hubcap diamond star halo? Well, you know, like, each one of these each one of these verses um, relate to a different girlfriend. T- Tony told me that each one of those verses related to a girlfriend that that Mark had been dating over the period of time that Tony knew him, and the first one, you know, is uh, is sort of this meek was this meek woman, this passive woman who did everything for for Mark Bolin, and the next one uh, was a was the model 
um, uh, African-American woman who was in hair in London, a very striking woman. I mean, when you see photographs of her uh, in the 1960s, it's like you can't even believe how extraordinary she is in terms of what she looks like. And, you know, modeling, is, you know, instantly, she is the African-American model in London at the time. And uh, the third woman was his manager. Uh, the third verse is his manager who actually drove drove his car. I can't remember. I don't think it's the same woman um, who was involved in the crash. Uh, that you know, this guy's going through girlfriends every five weeks. I think he's Mark Bolin. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, you know, you can't understand this guy until you see the video of Get It On on top of the Pops from late '71, and then you say to yourself, "This is '71." Man, this guy's ahead of his time. Oh, I mentioned earlier, you know, Elton playing air piano, and it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Elton John. I didn't have room for this in the piece, but Elton John is on there playing, but the piano doesn't play. Right? It's he's. They're just syncing. They're lip syncing, and the piano is just there to sort of be there. I mean, syncing meaning the recording is playing, and they're you know. Elton's playing away on the piano, but there's nothing being played there. I think there's a photograph with Mark Bolin coming up, for, in, uh, coming up inside the piano. Uh, if you go on to Google Images, um, uh, Bolin was sticking his head up, and Elton John is kind of like shocked, you know, that he's coming up where the string should be in the piano. Like there's nothing in That's the right, piano. Right, it's, it's an upright. Right. No, <laughs> no it's actually I think yeah yeah uh, it was upright or a baby grand. I can't remember. I think you're right. I think it's a white upright. Um, so. Uh, Rick Wakeman um, actually, um, oh, by the way, they stop after the background vocals are done. Tony says, that's it. Let's go back to London. You know, let's let's do the rest of the work in London. Um, so off they go to London. Um, they all return. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. Laurie just pulled it up. Um, they, they go back to London. And there is where Tony does a lot of magic. Um, he gets Rick Wakeman on piano, who's um, as Nick, you point out, I think earlier with your hands, as you're miming, um, he's got those great eighth notes, those rock and roll eighth notes that he's playing, and those glissandi that he's running his hand down the piano, which you know taps into Jerry Lee Lewis again. Yeah, it's important to realize that glam is looking, you know, at least in Mark Bowen's hands and a lot of these bands' hands. I, I think Bowie was more Beatles centric, but most of these other guys, they're channeling, they're, they're channeling the 50s. And Can I just, like, in yeah. the glissando, if you don't know, it's like, that's what it's called when you run your finger up and down the keys. Up and exactly. Down. And Jerry Lee Lewis kind of became known for that. Yep, absolutely. Pioneered it. Um, and then you've got Ian McDonald of, of uh, Crimson, um, uh, King Crimson on saxophones, and strings were added. And this wasn't in the piece either, but... Um, uh, Tony and I talked at length about this. That the strings were added at the last minute. They they were adding strings to a lot of stuff. Mark really liked strings, and Tony loved writing, putting them in. Um, but at the last minute, they realized they didn't have strings on this thing. And um, fortunately, the string section from the session was still there and it tried in studios. And Tony quickly wrote out what he needed for this song, and they were added at the last minute as an overdub. Um, but without the strings, the, the song it lacks. You know, that's well, Tony's genius. The strings genius. are a hallmark of of the T Rex songs. They're, yeah, that's exactly. what brings the I can't use this word like a few times before the, the grandiosity. That's what brings the grandeur to T Rex. Perfectly the put. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, there, you know, and and as Tony said, uh, one of his favorite songs, one of his, you know, the songs that inspired that feeling is Eleanor Rigby. I mean, he loves Eleanor Rigby. I mean, just thinks it's a masterpiece. But that the sense, the sense, you know, that that you can add strings to rock and do it in a way that it doesn't get in the way of much, but at the same time 
alters the listener's mood dramatically. Elevates. Yeah, completely. And mellows. You know, it gives it a. It sort of cuts the edge and gives it a a more regal and more um, uplifted uh, feeling. Um, so, get it on comes out. And it goes to number one in the UK. I mean, it's absolutely insane. Let's listen to the Jenna, the first take, the second take, and the third take of Get It On, because it's interesting how this song evolves. Um, you have the first take? Yeah, is that in tune? Beautiful. Cool. Yeah. A long, quick blast. Okay. You need a team things. Two. Cool. He got two, three, four. Sorry, one, two, three, four. So you got Curry's bass in there originally, right? And he's coming over the top of it. So it started with a bass intro when they were playing around with it initially. And let's do the second. I mean, listening to these intros, you really get the sense of how this evolves as an arrangement. That's Tony. One, two, three, four. It's dragging a little bit. It is. Yeah. They still haven't got the punch yet. Hey, man. Yeah, it's kind of garage It's like Suffragette City, yeah. right? All right, um, let's do the third. It's start, you can hear it really come, it's starting to really come into focus. But even like the cadence of the verse is a little different there, too. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So they're realizing not just the bass solo, let's, let's get the guitar on top. Now it's snap, you got the snap, snaps in there. That rhythm on the top is really what makes it pop. Oh, yeah, big time. Plus, it sounds like it's being fed through, you know, through a toaster or through a <laughs> uh, through an electric razor. Um, in the U.S., the name has changed, as I said, to Bangagong. Most listeners know it as Bangagong, get it on. Um, yes, Alex, with, you know, Alex is gone, uh, with parentheses. Um, and, um, he knew the parentheses was coming. He's like, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. Um so where does where does the gong part come from, which isn't in my column, which Tony and I talked about? And I said to him, and I said to Tony, so what's the deal with bang a gong? You know, obviously that's something that, that, you know, it's a great phrase, but like, does it come from someplace? And he, you know, Tony and I are talking, he says, Tony says, well, what do you, you know, you obviously, you must have an idea or you have a concept. And I said, what do you, I said, let me ask you this. Do you think it has something to do with rank films? Um, and anybody who knows British film knows that Rank Films is a big film company in the UK, and all of their films open with this guy in a loincloth smacking a big mallet against a gong. That's how you know. If you look, if you look up any British film on YouTube, it open every one of these films. Rank Films opens with you know, like Warner Brothers opens with that crest of WB. You know, each film company has its own. Paramount has the mountain. In London, in England, um, Rank Films has this gong. And it, Tony said it could well be, because Mark watched a lot of movies, but it also could be um, 
all those King Kongy kind of jungle movies where someone bangs a gong to start the uh, to start some ritual where some woman's tied up to two stakes and like you know the animals are coming out the tiki torches yeah <laughs> like yeah. Charlottesville <laughs> yeah. I always just thought yeah. it was so simple sexual like I just always thought that you know you're, you're singing to this woman who's dirty and sweet right and I just thought it was over the top sexual and that's why I thought they changed the name of the song that, from get it on to bang it gone I because thought I thought you know get it on is too on the nose and for this prudish country like, no, that's what no I but, bang, but bang it gone get it on is part of the title and it is sexual I mean Tony and I talked about this as well you know it is sexual that's what it means it's like let's get it on but bang a gong is this wonderful way of saying you know let's get to it and what we're going to get to is a ritual it's a big deal you know nobody uses a gong unless something that comes after is a big deal i right? never put those two together oh, it's amazing yeah. amazing yeah. let's yeah. take a quick break we'll come back with more euphemisms for coitus and more for mark myers on feedback Feedback with Nick Carter and Lori Majewski returns in just a moment. The stories behind the hits that shape the world of music. This is Anatomy of a Song on Feedback. All right, Mark Myers is here breaking down that very song from T-Rex. All right, so what... Let's we're going to go through the history, right? Yeah, let's do the top ten. But let's do the top ten this time on the the sound, the 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 cocky camp, uh, raunchy grind sound that Mark Bolin is channeling there because it has a history. So we're going to do the history of that feel that he's got there on that riff, and we'll end up on T Rex at the end. Um, let's start with the theme to Godzilla in 1954 because he loved Godzilla. Let's hear this. This is like the Raymond Burr one. Oh, I remember this. It's just like Children of the Revolution. Yeah. That's keep, what I hear. But keep listening to T-Rex's Get It On, and you can hear it in all these things. Uh, let's do uh, Harlem Nocturne in 1956, Earl Bostic. Wow. So it's that same kind of raunchy intro. It's, this is what this is what Boland's channeling. Uh, let's do Bill Doggett's Honky Tonk from 1956. Right? I mean, that's this is where it's coming from. Uh, let's do the uh, the diamonds, the stroll. This is 1957. You can hear that loping stroll feel in Get It On. I got on my parents' record cabinet. Half this stuff. Yeah. Uh, let's do a Link Ray, Nightlife, 1958. That's a raunchy grind. Link Ray. Man, that's great, isn't it? Uh, let's do uh, Henry Mancini in 1959, Peter Gunn, the theme. Oh, man. <laughs> That heavy piano bass. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Eddie Cochran, Strolling Guitar, 1959. 
He's one I kind of feel like people don't know enough today. Yeah. The history is the best part. I mean, when you trace these songs through these songs, it's interesting. Um, let's do Johnny Taylor from 1968. These guys all listen to Stax. I mean, when I interviewed Bill Legend, he loved Stax records. They would listen to Stax all the time. All right, so this next one is the song that I think... Mark Boland listened to the most. And it sounds ridiculous, but these guys were an English band. They had this hit in 1970. It was a really big deal. Um, I don't want to mention what it is, but hit it. Now listen to this as it get it on. Right here. And now let's do Get It On by T-Rex so you can put it right on top of that. Funny, right? Rosemary getting it on. Yeah. Look at that. Love grows. Wow. That was amazing, Mark. Sick. Loved it. <laughs> All right, listen, at SiriusXM Volume, you have to read this. Mark breaks it down like never before, as always. Can't thank you enough, but we can thank you in French. Merci. We're gonna hey, retweet my pleasure. that out. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. guys. All right, Thanks have a good day. Me. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye.